This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we are back with a requested review, an old school requested review from Mr. David Gorgos, better known as Dirty Gert to those who have been around the show for a while. He's been a longtime commenter. He's been on the show, made many a suggestion, and he brought us a review. It's been a while since we've had a, a Dirty Gert review to check out. It seems like it's been years, right? Well, Maybe. the time moves fast here on the podcast. Yeah. Because uh, we'll do a show and think, oh, we just did that six months ago, and it was actually 2012. Yeah. So uh, there's, it's some sort of a vacuum that we fall into well, when it comes to trying to remember when things happened. Um, do you want to mention that uh, later on in the show, we'll be uh, giving our update on our studio headphones. This is week four of our four-week experiment, thanks to the folks at Studio. In Sweden, they provided us with some region headphones. We've been talking about them all month and given our feedback on what we liked. And um, we'll be getting into that more later. So we should talk about the album that uh, Mr. Gorgos picked. It's Corner Shop's Woman's Gotta Have It, Jay, from 1995. So were you familiar, Jay, with Corner Shop? Well, yeah, I was uh, around college radio in the 90s, so (laughs) I had to be. Right. Well, um, you were familiar with the the next record. Yeah, I mean, there was a ton of buzz about that record. So yeah, when I was born yep. for the seventh time came out in nineteen eighty seven. But we're doing the album before that. Woman's got to have it. And actually, David uh, gave us some notes on why he picked this. He said, um, he said their first record is unfocused, and the third one had the hit single. So I think the second record is perfect for the podcast. He said, this album blew me away when it came out. I love the opening and closing tracks even more than Brimful of Asha, which is the uh, big single everybody would know. It's like a 90s version of the Beatles in their mystic phase. I wonder how it's aged. I haven't listened to it in 15 years, probably. So roughly 2002 will be the last time that uh, David checked this out. So we're going to do that for him. And along with the audience, so hopefully uh, people out there who have not listened to this record, go to Spotify and check it out or one of the other streaming services that, that carries it. Or um, or if you have the CD, pop it in and give it a listen and uh, see what you think. Um, we did get some Patreon feedback on this record over at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Positive and negative. I'll say that. Uh, Davey Bright says, nice. I used to work as a manager at a 100-year-old single-screen cinema in London, which was, I'm going to mess up his name, uh, Jinder's Local, I guess that means that was the the theater I used to go to. Um, He'd pop in all the time, either to the kids' Saturday morning cinema screenings with his kids or come in the evenings. Top bloke, really friendly, and a good chap. Great album. On the other end of that, Darren Leach says, should be left in 1995. Long forgotten one hit wonders. Okay, that's the opposite end of it. And then uh, Tara McCook chimed in with, I go back and forth on this record. The two Jolander Shear tracks that bookend the record and 
My dancing days are gone are really fantastic. My father-in-law grew up in India, and we still have family there, so incorporating Indian instrumentation is something I lo- I'll love every time. But then there are tracks like Call All Destroyer, which just kind of sound like a Blur tribute band. Nothing sounds bad, but they're clearly strongest when they play up the Punjabi influence in their sound. It, what's, it's what makes them unique. So that's an interesting um, perspective from Tara on uh, this band. Let's talk about their histories real quickly. Um, so the band formed in um, <clears throat> 1991. Uh, as I mentioned, it was uh, Jinder Singh, singer, songwriter, and guitar. His brother, Avtar Singh, on bass, guitar, and vocals. David Chambers on drums. And Ben Ayers on guitar, keyboards, and tambora. They were previously in a band together. Um, well, the first three guys were in a band together called General Havoc. Oh, I should mention, um, they're from the UK, Leicester and Wolverhampton. Um, they ended up releasing an EP called In the Days of Fork, Ford Cortina and then released their debut album, Hold On It Hurts, in 1994. That was followed up with the album we're reviewing Women's Gotta Have It the following year, 1995. Uh, when I Was Born for the Seventh Time, released in 1997. And then they have albums uh, Hand Cream for a Generation in 2002, Judy Sucks a Lemon for Breakfast in 2009, Corner Shop and the Double O Groove of 2011, Urban Turban in 2012, and Hold On, It's Easy in 2015, along with a number of singles and EPs throughout that time. Um, so... That's the history of the band and some of the uh, interesting information around them. Uh, With regards to this specific record, Jay, this was released in October of 1995. It was released on Wyja. It's W-I-I-I-J-A is the name of the label. It was produced by uh, Ginger Singh, which is interesting because uh, on the next record after this one, he ended up working with a whole bunch of people on the on the um, When I Was Born for the Seventh Time album. Dan the Automator produced that record. Um, they did. They had um, Allen Ginsberg appears on appears on that record. Um, the uh, they did a cover of Norwegian Wood. Have you heard that, Jay? Yes, Tim, because I reviewed that record instead of this one for initially. So I'm very familiar with that record. So apparently, like, both Paul McCartney and Yoko Ono were, like, thumbs up to their their version of uh, of that song. So in addition to um, various uh, artists who worked with them, they also had Paula Frazier was uh, on that record, who is in the tinder sticks and or sang with the tinder sticks and sean lennon and a whole bunch of other people so this this is like the album we're reviewing is basically like just them just about to blow open so i'm curious uh this is not a, a style of music that we're familiar with i i want to go back to uh tara's comments the um uh, punjabi I guess influence in their sound is not something we've ever encountered before. So Jay, let me ask you, what's one thing that you liked about woman's got to have it by corner shop? <laughs> well, you just covered it. <laughs> okay. Um, I couldn't agree more with those, those reviews. Um, 
yeah, when they when they bring forward the heavy Indian sounds and influences and rhythms, uh, it works pretty well. Uh, yep. Melodically, it's more interesting. And I don't mean just because of the sort of the novelty or the, the you know, the just hearing something different musically, but like mm-hmm. he sings better. Yeah. Like on the first track, like that's actually a, a fairly complex melody and well, it's well performed. Um, so the same thing with my dancing days are done. There's a sort of a male fem- uh, female trade off of vocals and mm-hmm. the performance is better. The melody's better. The songwriting seems better. When they do that stuff, I'm, I'm all, you know, I, I, I'm at least in from a, hey, this is kind of cool and I could, you know, I, I get where they're going and I, and I can appreciate it and there's aspects of it that I, that I enjoy. Um, when they do the indie rock thing, I think that's where it becomes hit and miss um, yeah. or less consistent. I guess the other thing I'll say before I move into what I don't like, <laughs> uh, I get what they're doing and I think there are, there's a lot of records that we review that maybe we're lukewarm on or um, even critical of where I think we one or both of us, our take is that we just don't get the what they're what they're doing, what the point is, or it's unfocused. I definitely felt like this record is um, the, I get where they're going. I get what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I get the idea. Um, even with the contrast of the styles, I still it still makes sense to me, almost like um, a piece of art. Um, you know, so from that aspect, even though it might not be my favorite kind of art, I, I understand what they're expressing. Um, so in that, I think it's successful also. Right. And I, I agree with you and, and the comments that Tara made, like the, the high point of this record is the opening and closing songs simply because they're able to find that like perfect groove. It's like hypnotic and the melody sits perfectly on top of it. You don't feel like he's sort of cramming in the words and melody to fit a a more traditional rock uh, sound. And he's just, the instrumentation's cool. And even like on um, those two songs, what I would imagine would be sort of like a more traditional sound. They still change it up by adding like these weird um, spacey elements of like keyboards and stuff that just sort of like move in and out of the song here and there that really like add a little, you know, psychedelic kind of aspect to the tunes, which I liked. 
Um, but I think they just work well because they just seem to flow. Like they're just seem to like move at the right pace and his voice is able to like find the exact right, right spot. Jay, it's the uh, last week of October. We've spent the month with our Studio Regents headphones, courtesy of Studio Sweden, who you can find at studio, S-U-D-I-O, Sweden.com, and also Studio Sweden on Facebook and Instagram. They were kind enough to uh, give us a coupon code, uh, 15% off any purchase, Dig Me Out 15 and if you make that purchase during the month of October, you get um, 10% of your of the uh, profits from the uh, purchase of pink products are going to be donated to the Breast Cancer Foundation. So, Jay, we've, we've spent the month with these headphones. We've talked about how we use them in terms of listening to the music that we're going to do for the shows. We've talked about – I talked a little bit about editing the podcast. Overall, you spent the month with them now. Uh, final thoughts. What you share your final thoughts on uh, on the studio regents? Yeah, overall, I'm I'm pretty impressed. I like the the overall design. You know, it's a classic look. It's not. I don't know. I think there's some headphones out there that try a little too hard to look cool, and they look kind of goofy on your head. Like, um, like you're wearing a Pontiac Aztec on your head. Kinda, yeah. Uh, these are classic. You know, I, th- I could see having these for. You know, five ten years, and they're still going to look as good then as they do now. Yeah, um, I have I have the white ones. I know you have the black ones, right? Yes, right. Um, so these mine are white uh, with gold accents, kind of a different look. Um, my my daughter's super excited about them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I might be letting her use them uh, here and there, but uh, yeah, I mean, in once I don't know. If, have you had uh, Bluetooth headphones in the past? No, come on, Jay. So, I, had, I had garbage headphones. <laughs> Once you go Bluetooth, it's tough to go back because it is so nice. Uh, just put them on. Uh, no worry about cords, and you've got controls like right there on your ear. Yeah, so that's really you can, nice. You can track forward and back and pause. Um, makes it super convenient, and they're comfortable. I don't know if you've worn them. Uh, one of the big issues with I prefer an on-ear over-ear headphone, and the big problem with most of them is that you just start to get fatigued after a while. Like your mm-hmm. head starts to get hot, and your ears start to hurt. And yeah, these are the the materials used are super soft. Yeah, um, I'll, and, I'll, and they're comfortable. I'll say uh, I didn't mention it when I talked about editing previously, but when I edit the podcast, 
um, for example, the roundtable episode that we did, uh, an hour-long podcast takes me about two and a half to three hours to edit. And that's pretty much straight. Like, I sit down and I do the whole thing in one shot. So that's me sitting there for, you know, two and a half to three hours with the headphones on. And um, there was, I did not have discomfort. So, and I definitely have felt that with the cheap over-the-ear ones that I had previously. Mm -hmm. I'd have to, like, just kind of fidget with them and, like, move them around, like, because they weren't resting on my ears uh, in a comfortable way. Yeah, you get fatigue after a while if they're yeah. not uh, designed well. I guess the other thing I was really impressed with, we talked enough about the sound, I think. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I do like the sound of these. It's um, very well balanced. I think it um, everything is very present. It's not overly bassy. Um, you know, one thing I'll say that I think there's a, a lot of people are familiar, obviously, with, with beats in terms of um, – you know, establishing a price point and I guess premium headphones yeah. a number of years back. The problem with that is that they're very oriented towards pop music and hip hop music, meaning they they provide way more bass than what you want. And if you you know listen to the podcast, I assume you like rock music. Um, and this these are much more neutral, so you're not going to get like a boomy over the top bass sound and what's most important is you're not going to get an artificial sound, right? You're going to get true to what the record is supposed to sound like with these, which is yeah. great. So I, I'm really happy with that. And, and, and just overall, I think it's a, seems to be a really good for the price point, a really good deal. I mean, you're getting great sound, you're getting, um, you know, good, good style, good design, the Bluetooth, you can't beat that. So yeah, overall thumbs up for me. Yeah, and me as well. And we need to thank Studio Sweden for um, providing these to us, or I just should say Studio in Sweden. I don't know, the uh, the name there. I, I got used to saying Studio Sweden, but it's just Studio. Thanks to Mr. Collins for uh, naming them. And uh want to remind everybody, Pink October, in support of uh, Breast Cancer Awareness, month uh 10% of all their profits are going to uh breast cancer uh, the breast cancer foundation from all their pink products that are sold so you could pick up the uh tray uh we mentioned them before the tray pink um then they have the caps as well and the uh the vasa uh some of the options and then if you use the dig me out 15 that's d i g m e o u t 15 code you get 15 percent off any purchase like uh jay mentioned previously good for either buying for yourself or a gift uh I, if you bought these for me i'd be pretty happy <laughs> so uh maybe maybe a significant other or yes you know for me i'm trying to introduce my daughter to maybe a little better audio quality than what she gets from uh straight through the iphone so <laughs> yeah so all right, studiosweden.com, Studio Sweden, S U D I O, on Facebook and Instagram. Let's get back to the show.
they catch that sound a couple more times. Um, like you said, my, my dancing days are done. They get to that somewhat on um, on Camp Orange and Wog, and not necessarily as successful, but they they do find these like interesting rhythms and grooves that are the underbelly of the song and carry it. So that can just sort of like nod along. So that's the, you know, we're probably treading the same ground, but that's the same thing that I find interesting. I do find his, you know, when you get into the more rock stuff, like Call Destroyer or Hong Kong Book of Kung Fu, with their sort of like mangled, fractured pop rock sound, which is Blur got mentioned. But in 1995, Blur was making The Great Escape. I mean, they were making pretty clean non-mangled pop. they wouldn't get into that for like another two years when they put out the blur self-titled record um and then when they put out 13 in 99 those were the albums where they started like deconstructing their own sound and like really using a lot of dissonance in the guitar parts and stuff whereas blur really hadn't even gotten to this point yet so they're kind of ahead of what blur would become and i'm curious if i know david elborn and and graham coxon were influenced by a lot of american you know, edgy or indie rock. And I'm wondering if they heard um, Corner Shop and some, you know, maybe bands similar to this and were influenced. Because I know, you know, Graham Coxon has always kind of had a mangled sort of pop sensibility. But Damon Elborn especially has world, has worked into all sorts of different world music um, into his catalog, whether it's as a solo artist or with gorillas or working with different orchestras and, and various um, musical groups as a producer over the years. So I would not have be surprised if this was actually an influence on Blur on the records that were to come. That being said, those songs work okay. I think if they were on their own and not butted up against what are superior songs at the beginning and the end of the record, I, I don't know if I'd be able to um, dismiss them as easily. I don't. I, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to take them out of the context of the record with stuff that is clearly much more in the wheelhouse of the band. So I don't know. How did how did songs like Call Destroyer or Hong Kong? book of kung fu work for you uh not my thing yeah uh i think i'll add another thing i think is pre- it works pretty well in the record it it's produced really well um yeah. now that makes some of this material um it makes it easier to kind of invest time in it because mm-hmm. you're not fighting with the sonics so maybe with some more time i, I would like appreciate like the um, kind of the droney and the rep- repetition and like maybe all that would start to make sense with some of the Indian themes. But 
as it sits with how the time I was able to put into it, it just sounds like underdeveloped kind of, I don't know, pedestrian indie rock. Um, in some cases it gets noisier in other cases it gets more quiet, but there's just nothing about it that's spectacular or right. compelling. Um, I, you know, you know me with repetition, like there's a lot of repeating of lyrics and lines, you know, it seems like every line has to be repeated four times and then they move on to the next line. Um, and it's just in that format where there's not, uh, anything really interesting going on or inventive going on musically. I'm stuck analyzing those things. There's a lot right. of like, um, monotone vocal or just very like flat pan delivery vocal, you know, or it's just like, the way I'm speaking right now is kind of the way some of the stuff is sung. Um, and when you contrast it with, you know, the first track, which it's got all, it has a smile to it. Like you listen to the first track, it's like, I don't know, you know, there's like a grin on your face or you could see like the way he's singing it. There's like a, a happiness or an emotion to it. And some of the other Mm -hmm. stuff, there's nothing. It's just flat and lifeless. And I, I I just, I struggle with that kind of thing. Um, musically, um, just, I, I don't quite get it. I don't connect with it. So, uh, I battle with a lot of the rest of the record, um, and, and trying to, you know, find things about it that are, um, as good as the, as the bookends are. Yeah. I think he's trying to carry over the repetitiveness from the more rhythm based songs to the more rock stop and start songs like call destroyer and that repetitiveness is doesn't work on that. You have to if you're going to, you know, do these more angular and, you know, fractured sort of pop songs, you know, guitar driven that aren't going to be rhythm based, you got to have a stronger melody and a stronger sense of lyrics over top of it, which I think is why Brimful of Asha works as a single because it's rhythm based but it's also a rock song and it he's he finds a lyric and a melody that work in repetition, but also work at, you know, it's, it's the right combo. It's like he takes what works well here and then really expands upon it. So I, I, I kind of see the roots of where that song came from in listening to this record. It's an interesting um, sort of uh, digression back to this. Right. And creatively, like, again, I can go to the, the concept here and I get it. It's right. you know, this mix, this mashup of indie rock and, um, garage rock and Indian and, you know, urban culture together. Um, so it all makes sense. It sounds almost like at times, um, you know, the soundtrack to a movie or something, it's almost cinematic and how like things shift around and you can sort of picture things. It's just, I don't know the, the, the stuff that's more of a formulaic kind of indie rock sound. Isn't, isn't that, uh, isn't that compelling? Yeah. On its own. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, looking at this, this came out in 1995. Um, this is the year of the battle of Britpop. This is Oasis versus blur the great escape versus what's the story morning glory. So, I can understand this did not like sell a ton of records. It obviously got them enough to be able to make another record after this with um, 
the same label. So they the label believed in it enough that they gave him a chance to make another record, and that obviously panned out. What's interesting is that, you know, when I listened to this record and and realizing what was to come, I was trying to think, well, was there anything going on in the States that was similar to this? And I couldn't really put my finger on it. I mean, obviously, like, Beck messed around with, like, some weird instrumentation and the beastie boys would as like album instrumental tracks they would do stuff like that but Mm -hmm. i couldn't i couldn't really think of any american bands in the 90s that were doing anything close to this in terms of you know adding an element of that's not western um to the music and and getting a a sound as unique as this um, I mean, the Talking Heads before them, but that was 80s, and they sort of morphed into more of a traditional pop band after a while. The Tea Party. Yeah. Well, yeah. Up north. Right. Up in Canada, they did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Although it was, I, it, was, it was a lot more rock, but it there was, were certainly yeah. like instruments and themes there that were derivative of. Well, yeah. I, I was never expecting to link the Tea Party to Corner Shop, but you just did it, Jay. <laughs> Well, we just reviewed that down too long ago, so it was top of mind. Yeah, yeah, that, I didn't. I couldn't. So, I guess what I'm saying is, I'm not surprised that that this didn't break through on this. They didn't break through on this record. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's give our overall ratings on this record, Jay. Worthy album, better EP, or decent single? Where are you at? I got an app EP. Yeah. You know, but I pick four songs from here, and I'm good to go. Yeah, I'd be at like four or five. You know, t- take the first and the last song, bookend them, throw them in with uh, a couple of the more rhythm-based songs in the middle. And I, I feel like you get you could get four to five really strong tracks here. So, hey, we got to thank uh, David Gorgos, Mr. Dirty Gert, for um, coming back into the fold and throwing this interesting record at us, not throwing the record we thought he was going to throw at us. <laughs> he got me to review two corner shop records. There you go. Good job. Dirty Gert. If you don't know what Jay's talking about, you can go to our Patreon page and hear Jay's uh, expletive filled rant at realizing he had, he had listened to the wrong record. <laughs> Cause that's uh, oh. it's, it's Jay's do it live. Uh, <laughs> It's not quite that bad, but it's yeah. it's uh yeah it's um it's Casey Kasem uh, losing it on record. Uh, it's not like a dog died. <laughs> uh, oh, Dirty Gert always challenges us. So he always does. They're always good up records, again. folks. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at the iTunes and. You can join us at Patreon. One buck a month gets you bonus content like the rant that I just mentioned. Also, uh, you'll find that we did this week a bonus review of the new Foo Fighters record, as well as a little discussion on uh, our overall thoughts on where the Foo Fighters have been and where they should be going. So we hope to do more of those mini reviews for uh, albums relevant to our podcast in the future. Uh, but you can only get there by uh, becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. 
For Jay, I'm Tim. We'll be back next week with another episode, our Halloween episode. Don't <laughs> dig me out. Oh my God. <laughs> Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber. Or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com.